Good morning. It is great to be back in Texas. I am so glad to be back. We left uh, on Friday. I, if you don't know, I've been over in uh, uh, Kenya, Africa, and then also down into Arusha, Tanzania with my daughter. We went on a mission trip, and we worked with some of the different uh, groups that we've been working with over the last couple of years where, um, with the ladies who have been making some of the jewelry that you've seen out in the foyer before we got to see those ladies, interact with those ladies, and then also the school. Um, last year, our vacation Bible school, our kids sent money over to... Um, Kenya, and we bought desks for the school there in uh, Kibera, and so we, were, we got to see those desks, got to see those kids, love on those kids, and so Friday, what we did was, um, it's, it's eight hours ahead, and so Friday, we actually um, got to spend some time in the slum on Friday. As we did that, then we went back, cleaned up, and then we got on a plane at 11.30 that night, and we were, traveled for the last 28 hours, and so we got in last night at 9.30. My bags are still in Chicago, but I am here. Yeah, man. All right. That's good stuff. So we are glad to be back. Absolutely. And I just want to say thank you for the prayers and thank you for just praying for us. And, and I'm excited. Um, next year, if you want to start planning next year, somewhere around this time in June, we'll be actually setting up a trip for uh, Kenya, Africa, for you to be able to do that trip. And next, year, uh, next week, I will be talking about it and showing you some of the pictures. And I'll have my daughter, who's 13, who also went with me. I'll have her share a couple things if she's willing to get up here with me. And she'll be able to talk and share kind of maybe what God did in her life. And so we'll talk about that next week and we'll see pictures. I just couldn't swing the pictures this morning morning because my bags are still in Chicago and there's no pictures for us to show. So I would rather do that this next week. All right. So thank you for being here. It wasn't it exciting to hear from the kids that went to preteen camp. That is amazing. Absolutely. You can give a hand. I want to set this. I want to set this for you and just help you understand kind of what is going on. Um, four years ago, in, on May the 24th, um, the church, the Oaks, called me as their pastor on May the 24th, four years ago, and um, we came a couple weeks later, and I preached uh, the first time as the pastor of the church four years ago in June. Real quick after that, um, we had a group of kids that went from our church to camp for preteen camp. They came back and gave a report, and that Sunday morning, we had eight people standing on this stage. I still remember it. And it's amazing to watch what happened even today. It's an incredible movement and a picture of what God is doing in our church and the young families that God is bringing, the kids that God is bringing to this church. And as a church, for us to send 40, and just four years ago we were at eight, is an amazing movement of God. On top of that, just to hopefully set the context so you understand how big a moment this was this morning, The year before I became the pastor, this church had three uh, salvations, three. This past week, we had five. That's a movement of God. The week before that for Vacation Bible School, what was the number, seven? Is that what I heard? Maybe something like that. I think it was seven. In the last two weeks, that's a lot of people. And that doesn't just happen. That's because God is choosing to work in this place, and God is choosing to do something here through us as people who are responding to him and saying, yes, God, we want more of you. Yes, God, we want you in our lives. Yes, God, we want to be in your word. And yes, God, we want to share what you are doing in our lives. That is God doing a work here. And I just want to make sure that you take a moment and you hear that because that is something to be celebrated, that God is choosing to work here. And I want to say thank you to God. Let's give him a round of praise for that. Absolutely. 
it's something we need to make sure we always remember and we keep it in our minds of what God is doing, that we don't take it lightly and we just we celebrate what, when he chooses to work in our lives. And so thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, um, I'm gonna ask that you would turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Now, I have given you a break from the book of Matthew for the last uh, few months. Just so you know that I can actually preach out of other books of the Bible, all right? Just kind of demonstrating that for you. But we are now going to go back into the book of Matthew and Matthew chapter 11. And honestly, guys, we're going to be spending the rest of the year in Matthew, all right? So just kind of buckle down, get ready. Um, There's some great things that I think you need to know, I think I need to know. A few years ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, when I was praying and asking God where he wanted us to go for our book study and kind of what he was directing us towards, he directed me back to the gospel. And the reason I believe he did was because it's, it's very hard to follow someone if you don't know them. We say that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We say that we, we love Jesus Christ, that we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. But the very real fact is, is that most of us don't know very much about Jesus. We hear about his stories. We hear some of the things, but we don't know him very well. And so I believe that God was directing me towards one of the gospels so that we could actually dive into it so that we know who we're following. We're following Jesus Christ and that's who we're following. And we make no, no uh, apologies for that. We are following Jesus Christ. And so if we're gonna follow him and be good followers, we need to know him well. And to know him well, we have to study his life and his teachings and we have to study about him. And so that's why we're going back into the book of Matthew. One of the other reasons that God drove me to Matthew is, is that for us as a church, we need to understand the, the, the benefit of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not something to just push aside and say, not that those stories aren't really that important for us. And Matthew, what he does more than any other gospel writer, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer. And so it allows us to know how that the Old Testament ties into the New Testament, how it all works together to give us a picture of Jesus Christ and redemption and what God is doing and wanting to do in our own lives. And so we're coming back to Matthew now to set the stage for Matthew chapter 11. It's been a little while, so I wanna make sure you understand We came out of chapter 10, and coming out of chapter 10, what we were introduced to is this. We were introduced to the disciples and the call of the disciples, that God called some men out to say, you're going to be my disciples, you're going to walk with me, and I'm going to train you to go out and minister to people. And so we spent some time just knowing and learning about the disciples and these average and ordinary people and who God called and said, I want to use you, and I want you to work through you, and all you have to do is available. And God called average people to do an incredible work for him. So we walk through that and we walk through then even the sending out of the disciples and the disciples go out and begin to minister. So as we come to chapter 11, here's what we have. We have a major turn, a major turn in the ministry of Jesus. Up until this point, We've heard great teaching and people have been awed and surprised. And for thousands of years, people have just marveled at the teachings of Jesus Christ. We've heard the teachings, we've read the teachings, we've studied the teachings, and we've been amazed as well. And then we've watched as Jesus has healed people and graciously demonstrated his love for people. He took and he touched people who were on the outside, who society said are worthless and Jesus would touch them and heal them and bring them in to his love and what an incredible movement of God to demonstrate that all people, no matter who they are, have great value to God. We've watched as Jesus miraculously healed and and multiplied fishes and loaves of bread and fed people. 
We watched as Jesus says, and so there's an excitement in, and in the atmosphere is electric. As Jesus would walk from town to town, and as he walks from town to town, the crowds would gather and cheer and chant, and they were excited to hear this man, Jesus, to teach. And they wondered, what's he going to do today? And they were all anticipating the next great movement. Chapter 11 hits, and now there's a turn. And what you find is from here on, Jesus' ministry is going to have conflict. There's going to be a rejection of John the Baptist, the prophet. There'll be a rejection of Jesus and his teaching, of his power. And now you're going to begin to have conflict in ministry. And let's make sure we're very clear. In ministry, there's not always going to be good times. And when you're serving God and you're choosing to follow God, there's also going to be times in which it's going to be hard for you. And now we move into a time and a period of conflict. I've titled this series over the next few weeks as we walk through this. The, the call, the invitation. Jesus is inviting you into his ministry. Jesus is inviting you to come along. But there's going to be steps and barriers that you're going to have to overcome. And today, the big one is doubt. Now, let's just set this up for just a moment and make sure we understand what we're talking about. Have you ever doubted? Have you ever doubted that God could work? Have you ever doubted that God was actually wanting to work in your life? Have you ever doubted that God could even work in your marriage or maybe your finances or your job? Has there ever been doubts where you said, hey, God, I, I, I trusted you. I thought things were gonna get better. Where are you at? You're not answering my prayers. Where are you? Now, let's, let's be real honest. It's an authentic moment. Because in this moment, when you start talking about doubt, there's a pushback, and especially in church, because we're, wait a minute, we have to give the Sunday school answer. No, I don't doubt. I trust God. And, and, and we almost fear if we step out and say, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to trust God, right? We almost, almost have this fear. Wait a minute, if I say that, then I'm not a good Christian. You ever been there? And so it's almost like you have to put this facade up and, and put this mask on and say, I, I don't struggle with my faith. Yeah, it's hard, but God's good, and he's just going to take care of it. Have you, you've ever said that? But then you walk away, and you get home, and you get alone, and, and, and there's that moment where you're just at home, and you're going, God, you know, it'd be a lot easier not to believe in you right now because it doesn't even seem like you're showing up, and you're struggling through, and you have doubt. And here's what's going to be interesting for you and I as we walk through this. I'm so glad you're here today. I don't believe it's by accident that you chose to come to church today. He has a message for you about where you're at and the doubts that you might have. And even if it's quietly there and you don't want to tell anybody, because even great men of God have moments of doubt. Even great women of God have moments of doubt. And today, we're going to see John the Baptist a man in which Jesus said of him that there was no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. And John, the baptizer, struggles in this moment. And I want us to see it. And the call for you and the call for me is this. Will you trust Jesus even when it's hard? even when you doubt that he's working? That's a good question, isn't it? Okay, 
If you have your Bibles, please stand. Let's begin to read. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 1, and here's what it says. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am amazed at who you are. I am so thankful for the privilege of gathering with other believers to be able to sing and to praise how amazing you are. God, I pray that our songs have flowed from a heart of true worship. God, I pray that it's been a sweet sound to you. Now, Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move, to work, to interact in our hearts and lives. Would you give us the ears to hear? Help us to, to not push back, but God, I pray that you'd help us to lean in to hear what you would have us to hear today. Give us the courage, please, to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. So we began here in verse 1, and it says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12. What is interesting is coming off of sending out the 12 with power to heal, with power to, to have a message, and they went out into the cities. What you have here in verse 1 is Jesus is, is coming back. He, t- he starts teaching, but there's no ministry report. Isn't that interesting? There's no ministry report of, of hundreds being saved or there's no ministry report about how many lives were touched or how many people were healed. There's no ministry report at all given. It's very interesting because once we go out and do ministry, what do we expect? We like to see a report. We like to see what happened. Did anything get accomplished? Was anything done? We wanna know that we actually progressed. We wanna know that there was success. But there's no ministry report given and all you have is, and Jesus finished and he moves on. It's interesting because in our mindset, we want to know about successes. But it's obviously, on purpose, intentionally left out. I don't know why. My thought would be maybe it just wasn't that important. Maybe the numbers didn't matter as much, and so we didn't need to know it. So here's what we have. We have the turn now in verse 2. The turn begins to happen, and it says, Now John heard in prison the deeds, this is John the baptizer, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples. Now let's just talk a little bit. I'm going to give you four points about doubt. We're just going to talk about it, and I want to kind of lay it out. Doubt increases when problems multiply. Doubts increase when problems multiply. Here's what we have. We have a man of God who's preached, who's taught, who others have come to listen to him, but now he's having doubts. And why does he have doubts? We find out by a simple word, John was in prison. When problems multiply, doubts increase. Even for good 
men. Let me set the stage so you understand what's going on. John has been in prison. He will be in prison for about 18 months. He's in the prison north of the Dead Sea in an old fort there. He's in prison because he was doing the right thing. He was doing right, and yet he has a negative consequence. You ever heard of that before? Doing right. He was doing right. He was preaching. He was teaching. And there was a point in which he had to confront culture, and he goes to the king, and he says, King Herod, you are wrong. (laughs) It's never good to tell someone with power that they're wrong, is it? And he tells them, King, you cannot be married, and you should not be married to that woman. The king was like, wait a minute, it's my prerogative. I can marry whoever I want. He says, yeah, but the problem is, that's your brother's wife. You shouldn't be married to her. And the king gets mad, and he says, John, I don't like you, never liked you, but now you've crossed a line, and he throws John in prison. And what we know is this, is that John has been in prison for about one year at the time of this writing. So let's begin to talk about his problems. Is John, does John have problems at this point? <laughs> if you've been in prison, yes. Now, he's not in the luxury estates of our prison cells here in the United States. He's in prison prison. He's in prison with just a small room where there's no place to go to the bathroom except over in the corner where it runs all across the rest of the room. There's very little food that's gonna be given to him, very little light that's gonna be shed, shine, that would shine into the cell, and you're in there and you begin to go crazy. So here's what we have. Problems begin to arise. He's falsely accused. He was doing something right. He was trying to help and present who Jesus is. You need to follow God's commands. He's doing right, and he gets cast in prison. He has a negative consequence. In that, now here's what begins to play out. His problems begin to multiply on him. Wouldn't it be easier if we just had one problem at a time? It would really be nice. But it seems like God never really allows for just one problem to come into our life, but multiple problems. And they begin to pile on and pile on. So he not only gets thrown in prison, but then now his prison stint doesn't just last for a day or a week. He continues to a month, to two months, to three months. And the longer the period of pain, the period of problems, the more opportunity for doubt to flow into our lives. He's in prison, lack of sleep, lack of food, There's no way to get comfortable. You begin to smell your own body. And now it's gone between six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, and a year. What do you do when your problems continue to go and they never stop? They don't stop. They just continue to compound. And John begins to get to a point where it just keeps multiplying and multiplying and it begins to get longer and longer. And he's saying, wait a minute, something's wrong. And even good men and women, they begin to doubt when there's a lack of food, lack of sleep. The environment's no longer good. The problems continue to multiply and the period of time begins to get longer and longer. I've watched it happen over again in not only my life, but in lives of others. As the problems begin to multiply, we begin to struggle. It would be okay if it just happened for this month. But when the cancer treatments begin to go six months, a year, two years, it begins to have an impact on your faith. And it begins to cause doubts because it's not working out. And you begin to struggle. And John gets to a point, it says, now in prison, John begins to ask. He said, wait a minute, what is going on? What is happening? And the problems begin to build. And here's what he does. John begins to turn and he says, okay, I've got to find out. And John in verse... Two, it says he sends word. 
to Jesus through some of the people who maybe came to visit. In John, in verse 3, it says, to ask this question, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the one? Are you the expected one? The Jews were all looking for that expected one, the Messiah who was to come. So doubts increase when problems multiply. Now watch. Doubts, doubts grow when there is a gap between our dreams, our dreams and reality. John's dreams, his vision of what was to happen was that Jesus is the Messiah, and because Jesus is the Messiah, he was going to make things right. John was the forerunner. He was the one proclaiming, and he asked this question, are you the one, the one we've been expecting? Are you him? Are you the one? Now, stop and think about who's asking this question. This is John the baptizer. A few chapters earlier, He has the grand privilege as he stands out and he preaches and proclaims. And Jesus walks across. He stops in mid-sentence and he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God, that's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. This is the one who proclaimed. And let me stop here because this is so important. Even though you've taught about Jesus, doesn't mean that you're immune to doubt. Just because God has used you in an incredible way in the past doesn't mean you can't struggle with doubt. You hear that? I don't want us to play, play and pretend that it doesn't ever happen. This is the man who says, he's the one. He, and, G, and John even at one point says, he must increase and I must decrease. John is the one who says, I am not even worthy to tie his shoes. And now he's asking the question, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we've been expecting? Why would he say that? He says it because the vision of what he expected the Messiah to be doing is not lining up with his reality. He expected the Messiah, he expected the Messiah to rise to the new political power. Watch. He was expecting the Messiah, and when he followed the Messiah, that things would begin to work different in his life. He said, wait a minute, I followed you, I preached, I proclaimed, I'm the front runner, I I know I'm supposed to, I know you're supposed to increase, but Jesus, wait a minute, I'm doing all the right things. If you're really the Messiah, then why is it not working out better for me? Hello? If I'm really following you and I'm doing the right things, then why is it not working out better for me? So many Christians get caught up in this, don't we? We've been following Jesus. We've been going out and we've been serving God. We've been in church for years. And we sit back and we say, God, I followed you. I thought when I got saved, I thought things were just gonna get better. But after following Jesus, you begin to realize, wait a minute, it could actually be harder on me for following Jesus. And you begin to ask the questions, why? My visions and my dreams, I expected to be at a different place at this moment in my life. I expected to be further down the road. I expected, God, when you showed up in my life, I thought you were gonna do more with me. This is John the baptizer who was out proclaiming, who was used to being out and ministering to hundreds. And he could travel everywhere he wanted. And now, and now, listen to me, his gifts 
that were given to him by God are no longer being used. Do you hear this? Because there's moments and times in which God takes your gifts and the ways in which he's ministered through you and there are times in which God actually removes you and no longer allows you to use your gifts and you're sitting back and John's going, wait a minute. I thought the vision was that, you, God, you were gonna work through me. God, I thought you were gonna, or Jesus, I thought you were the, gonna allow me to keep doing. And now he is confined to a room and no longer is he preaching to it that hundreds. That'll rock anybody's boat when you no longer get to do what God's called you to do. It will mess with your mind. It might not mess with your mind for the first week. It might not mess with your mind for the first month. But you get a year into it and you're sitting back going, man, I'm getting held down. Man, I'm not getting to use my talents. I'm not getting to use my gifts the way God, I thought God wanted. And your dreams begin to be very different than reality. Have you been there? And you said, God, wait a minute. This is not turning out the same way I expected. I thought you were gonna help my marriage when I trusted you. I thought my kids were gonna come back. I thought I was gonna get all these things. I thought my job was gonna work out. And you had all these visions of what God was gonna do in your life. And it's very different than reality because your marriage is still falling apart. Your kids are still running off. Your job is still not coming through. And you're sitting back and saying, God, where are you? Why didn't you show up? And you're not using me the way you, I thought you should. That's heavy, isn't it? And John asked the question, did I make a mistake? Because it sure feels like I made a mistake. I trusted you. I thought it was gonna get better. And doubt fills the gap between your vision and your dreams of what God was gonna do in your life and reality. Do you see it? Now let me show you something next. Jesus comes in and he begins to Show us how to get rid of doubt. Verse four, Jesus answers and replies to John, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Doubt begins to dissipate. You ready? it begins to dissipate with a proper perspective. And Jesus begins to turn the perspective. Now, I'm not talking about self-help, and I want you to be very, I want to be very clear. This is not self-help. This is a new perspective, and what John needed to know is something else is going on. So Jesus does two things for him. He begins to lay out, and he says, look, what you need to see is in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your life not turning out the way you expected, in the midst of it, you need a new perspective. And that new perspective starts by beginning to look around you to see that God is still working. The lame, they're walking. Blind eyes, they're seeing. Look Around, Because in the midst of our pain, what we begin to see is this. We only look at our right in front of us. We no longer look around us. And what Jesus does is he says, John, I want to expand your vision so that you see a new perspective. I am working. And even in the midst of your pain and your suffering, when you don't think God's working, God is working. And he's working all around you. So you have to get your eyes off of what's right in front of you to begin looking around. John, just look around. Look at what you're hearing. 
John, look around. I'm doing something bigger than you could ever imagine. John, look around. And then Jesus does one more thing. He not only tells him to look around, he also shows one other thing that happens. When you want doubt to begin to dissipate in your life, to get a new perspective, you have to go to the word of God. You have to go to the word of God. If you're trying to get a new perspective and you're trying to go just on your own or you're trying to get new people to talk to you, you're just trying to have a better attitude, it will fail you. But you want to have a new perspective? You have to go to God's word. Jesus quotes two different passages out of Isaiah. And what Jesus does is he points John back to the scriptures. He says, this is where you'll find help. This is where you will find a new perspective. Now, here's where it's going to get interesting for you. Ready? The two passages that Jesus quotes from are demonstration that he is the Messiah. You see, Jesus says it doesn't, at first when you read it, it doesn't seem like Jesus answers the question, are you the Messiah? But the two passages that he refers to is he chooses passages out of Isaiah to demonstrate because it says that when the Messiah comes, the expected one, the expected one, the one you've been expecting, when he comes, he's going to heal the blind. He's going to heal the sick. The lame are going to be able to walk. The poor are going to be touched. Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, go back and you will find God. Go back and you'll find me. I am the Messiah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The passages Jesus quotes, watch, also talk about the prisoner being set free. Now watch, the way the Jewish mind would work is if you quoted an Old Testament passage, you expected all the listeners to also be able to quote the rest of the passage so that you all knew what's going on. So let me give you an example. The Lord is my, so you now know the passage in which I'm talking about. You know the rest of everything that follows. You know that there's green pastures, you know there's water, still water, you know all that, right? Because you know the Psalm 23. You know what's going on. So when Jesus responds, when Jesus responds to John about him being the Messiah, Jesus could have chose any passages he wanted to reflect and predict that he is the Messiah. But he chooses these two, and as he gives him these two passages, he says, this is what's going to happen. I am the Messiah. But he leaves out the prisoner will be set free. Now stop and play with this for just a minute. This is an amazing moment. He says, John, I want you to hear something. I want you to catch this. Because not only am I trying to expand your perspective, I want you to catch what's going on. The pain that you're involved in right now, yeah, it's bad. But you're not getting out. It's not going to get better. What would you do if in praying and asking God to make your marriage better, to making your job better, to healing you of your cancer, to healing you of whatever's going on, to remove the problem and the suffering, what would you do if the answer's, it's not going to get better? Would your faith crumble? Would you say this God thing doesn't work? Religion doesn't work for me. Church doesn't work. I need to just give up on it. What would you do? Because let's be honest. When we pray, here's what we expect. 
we pray, and we really do expect God to show up, don't we? And we should. And we should expect, God, I'm praying, I'm seeking you. God, I really want you to answer. I want you to answer in a positive way. We should be able to expect, hey, God, I know that you can heal. I believe that you have, you have the power to heal. I believe God still is doing miracles. He's showing up and doing great things today. So it doesn't mean that we stop and we no longer pray that way. No, we still pray and ask God to show up. But what if the answer, what if the answer, my friend, is it's not getting better for you? How do you respond? This is the message John receives. John, it's not gonna get better and you're not getting out of prison. I am the Messiah I am God, I can do any of those things. As a matter of fact, I am healing all those people and I have the power to, but I'm not gonna do it for you. Because in our American mindset, that just ticks us off, doesn't it? And we're saying, God, you're a jerk. You promised good things to me and yet you've healed her, you've healed him. God, you've worked in their marriage. Why aren't you working in mine? Are you hearing this? We don't like this message. And so now John gets this, and let me show you what happens now. Jesus helps him one more step. He says, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I have the power for all those things. So doubt dissipates when you have a proper perspective. It comes as you get into God's word, It comes as you begin to understand what God is doing all around you. And then Jesus gives one last phrase here. In verse six, Jesus says this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, your temptation is this. I'm telling you, you're not getting out. I'm telling you, this is the end. It's not getting better. And Jesus gives him a slight rebuke for doubting. Because doubting never pleases God. And you need to hear it and I need to hear it. But when you're down, when you're out, when you're in pain, when you're in suffering, and your suffering has multiplied, your problems have multiplied, and the problems have extended, it's easy for doubt to creep in. And John didn't need a major rebuke. John didn't need a slap in the face and John didn't need to be kicked while he was down. He just needed a slight tweak. John, listen. Blessed is the one who's willing to understand that it's not gonna get better and yet, you ready? Still trust me. Who's not offended and will still follow me. The choice that Jesus is screaming out to us in our pain and in our suffering, with our problems, with our doubt is this. You can live with your doubt and you can keep living with your doubt, but when you turn to Jesus, it gives you the freedom to be able to trust that he's got it all figured out. Jesus gives us an example of how this happens because doubt, watch, doubt is removed with a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart, surrender to the problem, surrender to the pain and saying, God, in the midst of this, this is what you've called me to walk through. In the midst of this trial, God, you've got a plan that's bigger than I can see. And God, I surrender to what you're wanting to do here in this moment. 
Let me give you an illustration of how Jesus walked through this and we'll be done. If you remember, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane gives us a clear picture as a human surrendering to the Father. Jesus is praying, his disciples are sleeping, and Jesus begins to pray what? Let this cup pass from me. I don't want this. I don't want to go this way. This is too much pain. I know there's too much pain. I don't want to go this way. So if salvation can occur in any other way, then God, Heavenly Father, let this pass from me. Let's do it a different way. He's struggling with it. There's a conflict in his heart and in his soul. And then there's a moment of pure surrender where he says, nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Do you remember that moment? And this is the moment of complete surrender. I don't like it. I don't want it in my life. I don't want to go through it. And it sure would be a lot better if you would just get rid of it. And you have the power to get rid of it. I don't understand why you're leaving it in my life, but I surrender to it because you have a bigger plan than I know. And if you want to get to a point where you see God at a new level in the midst of your pain, what he's calling you to is not the removal of the pain, not the removal of the problems, but a surrender to trust him. Doubt doesn't please, faith pleases him. The faith to trust that he has a plan. The faith to trust that even if it doesn't work out, I still have him. The faith to know that knowing him and having him in my life is sweeter than not having him in my life. Paul says it this way. I've learned in whatever state I'm in, whether I have a lot or I have little, whether I have a lot of food or I have little food, whether I have great success or little success, no matter what state I'm in, I've learned to be what? Because I've surrendered to his plan and it removes all doubt. And the call for you, the invitation for you is this, will you trust him or will you continue doubting him? It's simple, but yet so profound. 